Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to this week's episode of La Liga Lowdown, also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. I'm your host, Jim McTeer, and we're looking back on match day 22, around packed with drama and juicy storylines. We'll be speaking to contributors from across Spain, from Madrid to Sevilla, to Valencia to Barcelona, to give you the lowdown on the weekend's fixtures. And we'll start with the relegation battle because, oh man, it is heating up. Some thought Leganes were already dead and buried, but they are anything but. They hosted Real Sociedad on Sunday lunchtime and it was 1-1 in the final minute of stoppage time after goals from Alexander Isak and Kenneth Omareo. Leganes won a free kick just outside the area and this happened. Tadke holds its breath now. Can they turn one point into three? It would be colossal for them. Oscar strikes! That is magical! That is beautiful! And Butarque celebrates the most fantastic winning goal! Late, late drama! And just how vital will this goal be in the quest for survival? La Liga lowdown, Sam Leverage was at Butarque for this game. Sam, we've just heard the commentary of the goal from Oscar Rodriguez that made it 2-1 to Leganes with basically the last kick of the match. Talk us through that last gasp winner. What a way to win and what a way to beat Real Sociedad. I mean, Leganes were fighting hard and and they thought that they'd lost their chance. I mean, they had one cross across the box a few minutes earlier, which had seemed to be the last chance and, and Real Sociedad cleared it and couldn't quite anybody get their foot on the end of it. And it was cleared away and, and that was turned to seem to be the moment, the last chance that they'd been hoping for. And then out of nowhere, the ball comes back forward, a free kick, a sloppy foul, which didn't need to be conceded. And as a Leganes fan, you're immediately looking at Oscar. You're thinking, this is our free kick specialist. I mean, he scored a few this season. This was his third free kick that he's converted this campaign. And for Leganes, he's a bit like their Lionel Messi when it comes to set pieces. Not quite as good, but he does put them away. And so fans were really excited. They were stood up on the edge of their seats. They were Some in the back rows were stood on their seats with their camera phones out, waiting to to recall the moment thinking that something big was going to happen and that is exactly what happened. I mean, Oscar put it right in the on the postage stamp in the top corner. Couldn't have asked for a better free kick from him and the celebrations were crazy. Everybody joined in, the goalkeeper, the substitutes bench, the coaches, everybody was there to jump on top of him and celebrate. 
You mentioned the celebrations there, so what was the atmosphere like at that moment and throughout the game to come from behind to beat a team like Real Sofidad? I mean, the Legnes fans must be full of confidence after that. As you can imagine, Butarque was bouncing at the final whistle. There'd been a very strange atmosphere throughout the match. I mean, the fans were kind of on edge, a bit nervous. They went into the game with a lot of hope, a lot of expectation, thinking that against this Real Sociedad team with some changes into the side, they knew that it was a real opportunity for them to try and work their way out of the bottom three and, and climb up the table. But then as the game went on and as Real Sociedad kind of grew into the game again, you could see the frustration and the fans' faces of Leganes and and kind of that loss of the optimism and the confidence that they had early on. Even going into the later stages of the game, there weren't too many chances and a lot of fans were kind of resigned. But it is important to note here that none of the Leganes fans went home early. Nobody left. Everybody stuck behind their team. They were cheering the side on, just like they always do at Batak. And in the end, it had the right result. And there were some really wild celebrations when Oscar's free kick went in. The fans were going crazy. And then the chance of CSEP where yes, they can, were going around. And there's a real belief around the club that if they're going to stay up, then they do have that chance. And that Javier Aguirre is picking things up with the team and they are getting better. They are working towards survival. So time will tell, but the fans remain optimistic even now, even though they are still in the relegation zone. They think they've got what it takes to just about survive. They gave the official King of the Match award to Oscar, which was a bit much as he only played 10 minutes. So who else could have been given that award? That's a fair point, Ewan, but then I think you have to look at the game as a whole and Javier Aguirre really summed it up for me when in his post-match press conference he said that it was a game that always looked destined to be a draw. And there was really that feeling that neither team was going to quite find the winner. And, and there weren't many chances for either side either. And I think really if you were going to look for another candidate, it would be the two strikers, Martin Braithwaite, and Alexander Isaac, who took his goal very well as well. And then maybe you could throw in Roque Mesa as, as kind of the midfield maestro for Leganes, but I don't think anybody particularly stood out throughout most of the 90 minutes. And it was Oscar who came on as the late substitute. He did only play the final 10 minutes, but he made a real impact. His energy and his pace really caused some problems. And beyond that, even then, his, his free kick was the decisive moment. So if you're going to look at the player who decided the game and won the three points for Leganes, then I think... It probably is fair to say that it was Oscar who was the key man in this fixture. Thanks, Sam. Now, making that Leganes win all the more relevant is the fact that the other teams also down at the bottom failed to win. Bottom place Espanyol were involved in the first game of the weekend as they went to Granada, but they lost even though January signing Raul de Thomas scored once again, meaning he's found the net in all four of his appearances so far for his new club. Although he scored the penalty, Granada fought back with goals either side of half-time to win 2-1. There was also a direct relegation six-pointer between Real Mallorca and Real Valladolid on Saturday. Their man on the island is Alex Fitzpatrick and he was there to see Real Valladolid end a nine-match winless run in La Liga with a 1-0 victory. They hadn't won since November 3rd when they beat, well, also Real Mallorca when these sides met in the first half of the season. Since then, it hadn't been much fun for Real Valladolid. So, Alex, what did they do differently here to end their terrible run of form? In truth, I don't think that uh, Real Valladolid did a lot differently from what they've done in their previous nine games in which they've not won at all, to be honest. Their, their last win 
was 10 games previous and that was also against Mallorca so perhaps the fact that they were playing Mallorca was a little bit of a help to them obviously Mallorca are going to be one of the worst three four five clubs in the division come the end of the season Um, but when I say not a lot differently they were defensively sound and they have been defensively sound even across that period where they've not won in nine games they've conceded only seven goals in the previous eight games before this weekend's game against Mallorca and their struggle to pick up points has been because they've been struggling to score goals their nine game run without a win they scored only three goals Um, So the difference, I suppose, for Real Valladolid was that they got a goal and they got the first goal in the game and they managed then to do what they've been pretty good at doing this season, which is stopping sides from scoring. Real Mallorca had the ball in the net first, though. Can you talk us through the drama of that disallowed goal? The disallowed goal was drama, as it always is with VAR, but a a correct decision, I have to say from the off, a correct decision, the ball had gone out of play. Uh, Lumor went down the left-hand side and cut it back from the byline to Danny Rodriguez, who took a touch inside the box and fired it home into into the bottom corner. As you'd expect, the players were off towards the the touchlines, towards the stands celebrating, and there were a number of Real Mallorca players off the pitch, at least five or six off the pitch celebrating. He went to the VAR check, um, which was checked really, really quickly, and they very quickly saw that that just before Lumor cut the ball back, it was out of play and therefore disallowed for that reason. But what became interesting and what became dramatic about the situation is I don't think I've ever seen in the recent history of VAR since it's come in a referee signal the VAR decision so quickly, blow the whistle and allow the team to kick off and restart the game with four, five, six opposition players off the pitch and he did so without giving them warning, without giving them opportunity and Real Valladolid broke on a counter-attack up the pitch and in the end had a, had an overload situation, I think 4v3 or 3v2 and managed to get a shot away on goal that just went wide. So I spoke to Ante Budimir afterwards um, in the post-game interview and asked him about it. He had no complaints about the VAR, of course, it's there to give correct decisions and the goal was correctly ruled out but he wasn't sure about exactly what the rules were about restarting the game and whether or not the referee should be alerting the players and making sure people are back in position or whether it's the responsibility of the players but it certainly almost turned uh, what was almost a glorious situation for Real Mallorca into a disaster. Kubo and Pozo came on as Real Mallorca sought an equaliser what kind of impact did they have? Very little, to be honest. Um, I feel a little bit for Pozo. He came on in not in his preferred position. He came on for for Juan Sastre, who was uh, who was injured and came on at right back. At that point in the game, Valladolid had had scored. Um, Mallorca a goal down when when both of those players came on, and as such, they were sitting back. So. It kind of gave a little bit of a false impression of Kubo and Pozo for a couple of reasons, really. They weren't ever able to be playing with any kind of open field in front of them. Um, But also it meant that they had a lot more possession of the ball and a lot more opportunity to do something than maybe they might have done if the game was in a slightly different situation. 
but the impact they had really was mixed to close to zero really um the problem that Takekubo across the season has had, and, and we've only had a few glimpses so far of Pozo, so I'll reserve judgment on that one, but particularly on the Takekubo one, is his consistency. We can see that in moments in games, he has absolute magic. The drop of the shoulder, the quick feet to win a foul, whether that be a free kick or a penalty, to put a cross in and, and create something, um, to beat a man. But... His consistency across 90 minutes or from game to game is just not there. And that's why he's fallen out of the starting lineup. Um, And Mallorca really is indicative of the issues that they've had with recruitment in this return to La Liga and their recruitment policy, that they're having to pin their hopes on cheaper alternatives, loan players from big clubs who are young without any proven pedigree or experience and trying to find a diamond in the rough I say in the rough they're, they're youngsters coming from Sevilla and from from Real Madrid so it's it's not r- the rough in that sense but really it's shown Mallorca's transfer policy up for for really being not quite fit for purpose and unfortunately at the minute it's not quite working for Takekubo it's not quite working for Mallorca Reserve judgment so far on Pozo, still plenty of time for them, but there's enough games for him to battle his way back into the team and still to have an impact on this season as the relegation battle plays out. So there we have the lowdown from Mallorca. Thanks for that, Alex. Now it's time to hear about the other teams down near the bottom, one of which is Celta Vigo. They join Espanyol and Leganés in the relegation zone and they lost 1-0 away at Valencia. To discuss this game, let's bring in our man at Mestalla, Paco Pollitt. After this game, Valencia coach Albert Saladis said, it wasn't a super brilliant game, but it wasn't a disappointing performance either. Is that a fair assessment, Paco? Absolutely, yes. It wasn't by far Valencia's most brilliant game of the season, especially after what we saw just a few days ago against Barca. And actually, Celta had a few good chances to come out of the battle with the three points inside their pocket. There was one crucial play where Dani Parejo and his wits actually saved Valencia in a free kick by Iago Aspas denying Celta of a goal they were already celebrating. In the last stretch of the match, after Soler's goal, they were able to take the game to sleep in the last few minutes in just another example of experience and intelligence. Overall, not the best night, but you can't argue the three points were underserved by the home team. This was new signing from Roma Alessandro Florenzi's debut. What was his performance like? And also, what did his presence mean for Daniel Vass, who didn't have to play it right back for once? You know, I totally loved Florenzi's game in his first night at Mestalla. He was deep, he was fiery when defending, he quickly managed to play in sync with the rest of his teammates and he was this close to score an incredible goal straight to the angle with an excellent save by Ruben Blanco. Overall, he was easily one of the highlights of the team and the Mestalla crowd agrees with my assessment. Just look at how he was clapped and cheered when he left the pitch in the second half. Now suddenly, Albert Celades has more tools to work with as Daniel Vaz can be placed almost everywhere in the pitch. Against Celta, he played on the right and he did okay, nothing really spectacular. Unfortunately, Valencia lost the depth that Ferran or even Carlos Soler usually deliver in that wing. I expect the coach to use Daniel Vaz both as a winger and inside the midfield, providing more options to mix with Dani Parejo, Coquelin or Condogbia. 
You mentioned that Celta Vigo did create a few chances. They played in a 3-5-2 formation in this game, something they've rarely done. How did they look? I think Celta looked pretty solid, you know, with the usual mistakes in the back, which Valencia, by the way, were this close to take advantage of. But once the ball managed to get to Iago Aspas or Rafinha, they looked very, very dangerous, both in static attacking and in fast breaks. I do was one of the highlights at the back. Ruben Blanco made some good saves, as I said earlier, and Iago Aspas resembled the player he was in the last two or three seasons. I don't really believe Celta, with all of the quality and firepower they have, should be that low in the standings. Eventually, in my view, they will get out of there. Thanks Paco, we'll see if Celta Vigo can get out of there, but for now, they're still in the relegation zone. Here's a quick recap of the situation in the bottom four. We've got bottom placed Espanyol on 15 points, second bottom, we have Celta Vigo on 17 points, third bottom is Leganes on 18 points, and fourth bottom, just outside the relegation zone, is Real Mallorca, also on 18 points. Then it's some distance to Ibar, and Alaves, but we'll discuss those bass sides in part two. And of course, we'll discuss Barcelona and Real Madrid's matches in their bid for the title. Real Madrid, of course, had the Madrid derby against Atletico. We'll get stuck into that just after this short break. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to this La Liga Lowdown podcast. We've spoken about the relegation battle, but now let's reflect on the La Liga leaders, Real Madrid. They went into this weekend three points ahead of Barcelona, and it remains that way as both sides won. For Real Madrid, they had a very difficult game against Atletico Madrid. They hadn't won a home league derby against their rivals since 2012, but they were able to do so in this one at the Bernabeu, where I was watching on. This was a very interesting game in a tactical sense. 
Zidane decided to start this game with five midfielders, a tactic that had worked well in the recent Super Cup in Saudi Arabia, but on this occasion, this played into Atletico Madrid's hands. They sat back, played narrow, and were absolutely content for Real Madrid to keep the ball and pass it around. Atletico were even able to pinch the ball in midfield on occasion and quickly make runs forward with Alvaro Morata playing the Benzema role even better than Benzema in the first half, holding the ball up well and linking the play up well. He could even have won a penalty for a potential foul from Casemiro. But at halftime, Zidane changed things. Zidane brought off two midfielders, they were Isco and Tony Cruz, but he said in the press conference afterwards that he could have taken off any two midfielders. And he put on Vinicius and Lucas Vazquez. They were excellent, especially Vinicius, and they provided much more width. Vinicius, he was involved in creating the goal, setting up Ferland Mondi for an excellent cross to Benzema, who did the rest. That double substitution, combined with the fact that Murata suffered an injury just minutes into the second half for Atletico, changed the game. It changed the derby, and it might have changed the title race. This was a 1-0 win for Real Madrid and a huge three points in the title race. Barcelona, meanwhile, they did their part by defeating Levante 2-1 at home with both of their goals coming from the young Ansu Fati in the space of a couple of minutes. Goal! Levante's goal was a stoppage time one from Ruben Rochina, but they put in an overall good performance. It was an interesting game, and we discuss it now with Roman de Arcaire. Roman, we have to start by talking about Ansu Fati. He was a hero with two goals, but he hadn't been playing well in recent weeks. Well, I mean, he'd been playing well for a 17-year-old, but just not hitting the super high standards he'd set for himself during the first months of the season. What changed in this match for Ansu Fati to be so effective? I think Ansu Fati in this game had a lot more space to work with than in other matches uh, since Kike Setien has been on, on the team as a manager because Barca are still adapting you know, to the new system and the team has been playing maybe slower, usually the ball moves slower and today I thought that the ball was moving much quicker, there were faster transitions for Barcelona and Ansu Fati was capable of finding the defenders back in many occasions and that's how the first goal came as a matter of fact so he had a lot of, sp- he had a lot of space uh, to work with, a lot of forward would run which Ansu likes he needs that freedom in the wing and I think he, he felt really comfortable and also he was more inspired than usual and he really needed those goals to gain that extra confidence he'd maybe not lost but hadn't um, reached its peak as it might be capable of with a game such as this one overall this wasn't a great Barcelona performance was it I'm going to disagree with you on this one. I honestly think it was possibly Barca's best performance uh, so far this season with Kike Setien. At least the first half, which I thought was was great. We we only scored two goals, but um, I, I saw many opportunities that could have ended in goal, and it could have gone up to maybe four, five, six goals if they'd been a bit more lucky towards goal. And as a matter of fact, Kike Setien said after in the press conference that he thought Barca could have scored five goals and could have won the game in the end, eight two or something like that which is maybe a bit exaggerated, but I mean, I, I did see he Barca generated a lot and also um, the creativity was much better, the ball movement, uh, finding those spaces. It has to be said, Levante was maybe a bit more offensive than other teams Barca have faced this season, so that might have allowed uh, Barcelona to find better counterattacks, more spaces, more opportunities. But overall, I think it was a good, very, very good first half. The second half struggled a bit more. At the end, of course, uh, Levante got that goal and we were under a lot of pressure and that could have gone any way. 
But thankfully, we got the three points, and uh, it has to be said that uh, there's still a lot of things to improve. Kike Setien's just been there for uh, a few games, and, and he needs time. You know, it's not easy to just come in and change things, which have been going on for two years and a half. So um, I thought it was a good game, and there's still margin of improvement, and we'll see how things develop in the next games. Roman, can you talk us through the different tactical formations Kiki Setien has used during his first few weeks on the job, from the Granada match and his debut to this one? Well, we know Kike Setien is a big fan of the 3-5-2 formation and he tried to implement that, especially in attack in the first few games uh, he's been at Barcelona. But you could tell the team was, uh, or the squad was struggling to, to adapt to it, to understand it. It was just pass, pass, pass in midfield and there wasn't really uh, anybody arriving in the last few metres to, you know, to finish these plays. So in these last two games against Leganes and now Levante, he's switched back to a 4-3-3, which was very often what we would see with... Uh, Ernesto Valverde and it seems to be working much better to be honest um, the team seems more confident with the ball and actually is generating a lot more of opportunities and at some points of the game uh, you could see how there was actually like four attackers in front when Barca was bringing the ball from the back you would see like uh, Griezmann, Ansu Fati, Messi up front and then one of the full, one of the full backs really forward usually Jordi Alba and this is another variation we've seen at some points of the game from Kike Setien. And also we saw at the end of the Levante game how he switched to a 4-4-2 uh, when there were 2-0 up uh, and the game was close to its end to possibly hold and defend more and try and uh, keep the ball more to avoid uh, Levante from scoring, which didn't work, but it allowed them to at least uh, win the game and get the three points. Thanks, Roman. So that's where we stand in the title race. Real Madrid lead the way with 49 points, Barcelona follow with 46, and in third place with 39 points, we have Hitafi. Yes, Hitafi. We've told their story before, but just to recap, Jose Bordelas took over as Hitafi coach on September 27, 2016, when the team was second bottom of the second division. He won promotion with them that same season, he kept them up in La Liga the next year, in the following campaign, he led them to the Europa League, now their third after earning a 2-0 win away at Athletic Club. It was a stop-start match with lots of fouls from both sides, but whenever there was good football, it came from Hitafi as a great Damien Suarez goal and a Jaime Mata penalty earned them the win. Well done to them. The race for fourth is going to be really interesting. We've also got Atletico Madrid and Valencia in the mix and the current fourth-place team, Sevilla. Gregor Chappelle was there at the sanchez Pizjuan this weekend for La Liga lowdown to see Julian Lopetegui's side play with Alaves holding them to a 1-1 draw, even though Sevilla posted their highest possession total of the season so far with 74%. To be honest, I thought this one was going to end up as a 0-0, but Alaves striker Jocelyn opened the scoring late on before Sevilla responded. Jocelyn is a guy that can make something out of almost nothing, Gregor. How much of a killer is he? No, Hosselu is exactly the kind of striker you want, especially if you're a team like Alaves, who sometimes in games like this don't see a lot of the ball. You know, he was working tirelessly up top, chasing everything down. He gave the Sevilla defenders no time on the ball. And the goal that he got just showed the kind of killer instinct that he's got. Um, you know, he was sniffing around for scraps. He was in the right place at the right time and the ball rebounded off the goalkeeper and he took his goal really well. Sevilla once again started slowly and then frantically searched for goals at the end. What is it with their slow starts to games? Yeah, this is a bit of a mystery to me why they do this. It seems like they go into games a bit too lax and always need to end up throwing everything at it in the last 15, 20 minutes of a game. And that's going to cost them, you know. I mean, 
it's something they really need to sort out. They need to have a higher intensity from the start of games. Hopefully grab a couple of goals in the first half, kill teams off. Because they're definitely organised enough and defensively strong enough to hold on to a lead. This is definitely something they need to remedy sometime soon. New signing Suso made his debut. How did he look to you? You know, when he came on, I thought he looked bright. He looked confident in the ball. Um, he looked very direct. He had a few really nice deliveries. He nearly put through um, Regulon with a really nice finesse chip through ball um, over the defence. Unfortunately, Regulon was caught at sixes and sevens and couldn't make the most of it. But, I mean, yeah, he looks like the kind of player who can unlock a defence and make the difference. And I expect him to do well once he's had... Once he's bedded in and had a run of games in the team, I think he's got the ability to be a really good signing for Sevilla. I'm curious, what was the atmosphere like in this one? We've spoken about how they've been poor at home this season, and then this match came just after their Copa elimination at lower league Mirandes. Oh, I mean, you could tell <laughs> Sevilla fans were not happy after the performance midweek. That was a shocking result in the Copa del Rey. And especially first half, every time... There was a loose pass that either didn't find its target or maybe went out of play. There were the, the fans around me were gesticulating, arms going everywhere, you know, whistles as well. Half time there was a barrage of whistles. They were clearly frustrated, not pleased with what they were seeing. And we've spoken before about how demanding these fans are of the players at home. And they definitely expected a lot better tonight coming off that bad result. They would have expected them to bounce back. And one emphatically, and that just didn't happen. And yeah, they were not happy at all. Thanks, Gregor, for that update on all things Sevilla. The other side from the Andalusian capital is, of course, Real Betis, and they were playing away this weekend up in Eibar. While there weren't many chances in Sevilla versus Alaves, there were lots of chances in this match. But it was the same scoreline of 1-1. Both goals came in the opening 15 minutes before a second half of poor finishing, good goalkeeping, and a VAR intervention to deny Borja Iglesias and Real Betis a winner. It was a shaving of the spoils, and that was probably a fair result. Don't worry folks, you've not gone back in time. That was the sound of Paco Alcacer scoring a La Liga goal, and it was from this very weekend. He returned to Spain by signing for Villarreal from Borussia Dortmund, and opened the scoring on his debut for his new club as they took on Osasuna. Villarreal went on to win that match 3-1. That's really encouraging for them. And that brings us to the end of this week's Match Day Recap. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and we've heard from Sam Leverage, Alex Fitzpatrick, Paco Pollitt, Roman de Arcaire, and Gregor Chappelle. Thanks to all of them for their contributions, and thank you very much for listening. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.